0: Episode 46 of the Our House podcast and the boys back together. Matt Sharp from Sharp Property buys Rod Amos from Urban and Coastal, and Rod, of course, one of the world's best auctioneers. Uh, boys, welcome. Can I start with you, Sharpie? Episode 7 of The Dining Room Table, your spin-off podcast Man, it is flying, and uh, what a great episode on comparables.
1: Yeah, thanks, mate. And the feedback's been fantastic, so thanks to everyone out there who's listening. And yeah, we're going to look to continue on with that you know, early next year and, and look to build that podcast, but thanks for obviously everyone's support, and Steve, you for driving it.
0: Yeah, and uh, Rod, not sure if you've heard the episode, but Matt, uh, he divulged that he can save you thousands, or maybe tens of thousands, if you nail down on what a property is really worth. Look, it's all in the research, and that's what the podcast covers off,
2: isn't it? And the, the difference is you've got a team that basically know how to research the whole of Australia, know the comparatives, and the only way to find out what a relevant price is is closest properties that are similar to it that are sold. but. It still means so much research. It means going through checking every single photo of all those properties mm. are sold, what the bathrooms were like, when they were upgraded, size the land aspect. It's something that is really time-dependent, isn't it,
1: mate? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, like you have to do it as a professional if you're going to provide advice. You know, you've got to know your stuff, you've got to know the areas, you've got to know the property. And as Rod said, it can be very, very time-consuming.
0: Hey, coming up very soon, Michael Yardney. Uh, he's joining us yet again, the founder and CEO of Metropole. And as we've said on this podcast, he's been voting. One of Australia's most 50 influential thought leaders. Thanks so much for lining him up, Rod. Look, not only that, he's now rating number
2: one. It's the number one property investment podcast worldwide. Not just Australia, (laughs) but literally worldwide. Because it's also relevant, as you were saying, Matt, that with what you're doing again too, it's based on facts. And sometimes those facts, they certainly don't change from state to state in Australia. And when you're doing comparables, it's going to apply anywhere you're buying around the world.
1: Yeah. One thing I love about Michael, he makes the complex simple and he has a really long-term view on the Australian property market. You know, obviously a lot of the mainstream media now, they talk about the here and now, whereas Michael has a really long-term view and he understands the, the details around what drives markets and and obviously what slows markets down and I know next year his commentary is actually quite positive despite what you're hearing out there at the moment.
0: Some of the numbers that have come out this week uh, include days on market so we'll step through that with Michael. By the way the podcast all thanks to Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions. Boys hypothetical if you could do anything at your place now with the Smith & Sons team, what would it be, Sharpie?
1: I would have a double garage out the front of my house and convert my existing garage to more living space.
0: Yeah, and
2: you're you- starting to fill the pinch already with uh, just one yeah, second yeah. one arrived. <laughs> okay. yeah. And-
1: yeah, I've got too many heads in my house at the moment. I need to start culling some people or creating more space.
0: Uh, boys, you're at my place. What do you think we should do? What's our blank canvas? Steve, I don't know that you need to do anything
2: more here. You've got the pool, you've got a beautiful <laughs> private backyard, and not only that, you get to use your son's self-contained flat to do the podcast.
1: And anyone out there that's listening, the self-contained flat resembles a studio <laughs> as well. So it's <laughs> it's not a bedroom, it's a genuine radio uh, studio.
0: Two small dogs relaxation studio, isn't it? No? <laughs> On the Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions Facebook page, they've got some ideas. So if you want to do your Bathroom so they've got some ideas about where to start and how to maximise that space and beautify it, back decks, you can do that as well. So lots of ideas leading up to Christmas and beyond with the Smith & Sons team. The difficulty
2: for everybody is, isn't it, Matt, is simply the, the world of choice. they have And you got styles? Do we still do Hamptons? Do we do coastal seaside? Do we do the rural thing? The thing is with Smith & Sons, they're doing that much with the proactive nature of the team, Matt. They can basically sum up your lifestyle, look at the property and tell you how best to encapsulate. With whatever theme suits you, and obviously they can address that if you're looking to do it in order to sell to make it even more
0: saleable to potential market. Yeah, and don't forget they're always after new builders, new franchisees. All right, let's get cracking. What caught your eye? I know you've got a ripper for a shuffle.
1: Yeah, look, there was a record sale recently here on the Central Coast. Uh, I believe the highest residential sale on the Central Coast ever, circa 13, or somewhere between thirteen and fourteen million. Beachfront down at McMasters Beach, just absolutely incredible. The team at McGrath, Terigal McGrath, I believe, sold the property off market to a Sydney buyer. So quite incredible. One of the best surfing beaches on the Central Coast, as as both of you are well aware, but just a a huge
2: So you've got 270 degree view, water views basically when you're taking the lagoon all the way across to Max Point. And this was an out of area buyer I take it wasn't it? Yeah
1: I believe so, an out of area buyer who was looking for something specifically on the beachfront there at McMaster's Beach now there's only a handful of properties there so obviously with that scarcity factor uh, you need to pay a premium if you want to be there.
0: That is incredible isn't it because down the southern end of the coast we've got some pockets that you know draw a premium in price but this is amazing isn't it? Is it a big parcel of land
1: uh yes i believe it was over a thousand squares or 1500 squares
0: but yes i think it blew
1: the other the previous record by about a million or two million rod is that right high tens might be the last yeah, one yeah look
2: it's probably high tens there was a the talk of another one off market in north of oak of it just under 12 million um going back the beginning of this year but there was a huge sale just under 10 million dollars at point frederick that was a double block deep water jetty boat share there. and as you can imagine not really much money needed spending on the home, so that eclipses a record. Steve, it was only going back a couple of months ago, we, we were talking about the sale of Two Shores Caravan Park at Tugra Lakes, and that was over $10 million, and here it is, one single parcel of beachfront land with a beautiful home on it.
1: So these types of numbers for beachfronts in Sydney, they're kind of common, right, but I guess now they're starting to become a bit of a benchmark here on the Central Coast. What do you think it means for our market here?
2: Look, when it comes to beachfront in this proximity to Sydney, is there any reason why it shouldn't be getting close to what you're paying on the northern beaches or the southern beaches as well too um, it's a really tidy held little pocket that's Tudor Bearing Parade that's a handful of properties they're all fairly high set this one did have walk down to the beach from it I believe too didn't it say so you got immediate beach access from the backyard handful of neighbours and as I say it's private it's pristine you set well back from the beach from the additional privacy as well and if you've got the money, why not have the perfect coastal lifestyle, mate?
0: Yeah, we've got to give a shout-out to the agent, too, because, I mean, it's a whole team affair, but uh, the number one guy is one of the leading agents in the country. Yeah, one
1: of the best agents, yeah, in the country. I think the number one agent in, in McGrath. Um, but, yeah, it's a it's always a team effort, and I think there was a few of them involved to pull something like this together.
0: But Matt Steinway, running point.
1: Yeah. Matt Steinway, Trevor Hamilton.
0: Yeah, and you've known him for decades, haven't you? Like, just the work ethic is incredible.
2: Look, there's no doubt about that, and to be able to pull it together as an off-market sale, and apparently, Matt, you were saying that there was actually interest in another nearby property. That one didn't come to fruition, so the move was made on this one of the vendors... The, the, the sellers had just decided, well, we can't refuse. That's really what it gets down mm-hmm. to. This is a price above market price because it becomes an emotional price for them to fare well the home they really didn't have intentions of selling, I believe.
1: How would something like that, like, uh, explain to our listeners, Rod, how something like this could eventuate, you know? Like, y- there's an opportunity there, you know, typically will the sales agent call maybe a handful of buyers or maybe one buyer that they knows maybe been looking for something like this? Like, just give our listeners a bit of a an insight as to how this can evolve and then obviously you know then ultimately transact.
2: We'll put it this way one of the best ways for people for purchase off market is simply use a buyers agent Matt because we find that's happening so often these days but with that When we're looking at the top of the market there, there's a need for privacy. You don't always want to know who you are and what you're searching for. So you enlist a buyer's agent and go out, and it's just a lot of networking with agents to be able to put those names up in front of people. And certainly each agent has their list of buyers that are looking for something specific, and we're always talking to potential vendors. But it's rarely the vendors at the emotional point in time. They're prepared to move at the same time you've got the buyer. And oftentimes when you're handed what is basically a blank check to the value of your home, as a vendor, you've got to make a choice. And whether it's agreement on both parties that might own it, it becomes very much a make-that-choice now because it, you might not see
0: it again for 10 years. Mm, yeah. uh, I've got a question. Will they live there or is it a weekender? I mean... <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, seriously. I, 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 I honestly don't know. I would have to say you'd be nearly living there, surely. Yeah. with that. Well, I mean, with that sort yeah. of money. But I, I'm guessing, I'm just picturing the owners of this probably own something down in Mossman. I don't know, Bellevue Hill... Who knows? Rose Hunters Bay. Hill, Rose yeah. Bay. So they might have a handful of properties. I, I have no idea, but that's that's a fair lump of um, lump of money.
0: So I wonder if they got a mortgage, and that leads me to <laughs> that, that leads me to the Canstar numbers, which I've looked at this week. So the average new loan for people buying an existing property was six hundred thousand four hundred and ninety four in October, up one point one percent. The average for a newly built home five hundred and sixty five thousand four fifty three. Down 1.2%. Now, Steve, bear in mind,
2: that's a national figure, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so when you're looking at the fact that if you're going to be buying metropolitan Sydney, you're going to be paying two to three times the price of Perth, that is only an average. So in New South Wales, and particularly Sydney, I think you'd extrapolate that out to being the average mortgage is going to be up around $900,000 a million, Matt.
0: Yeah, you like this, boys. So the average for a newly built home was the lowest in Tasmania, 340000 for a newly built home, the highest, no surprise here, New South Wales, 755000 The value of new mortgages up $374 million. in October. That's after a September fall of $2 billion. I had to read that a couple of times. So up in October. Thoughts? All right, that's in October. Now, obviously, we're
2: coming off the back of the fact we just had the latest rate rise of 0.25%. It seemed to be recovering from the last one. This is going to put another den in it, but the good thing for people borrowing is get in now because the RBA doesn't meet again in February. And if you've got the opportunity to lock down your dates and your mortgage right now with it, you're going to be benefiting nonetheless when it comes to long term. But I think we're starting to see the slowdown in the cycle, Matt. And with inflation starting to clip, I think it's going to be a lot more positive next year than it has been this year. And then we'll. Come back and talk a little later about those SQM figures that have come through Mm. as well.
0: Yeah, and just on CanStar, so I saw an article in the paper last week. So they've released their Rising Stars report, and uh, it quotes Terry Ryder. So highly respected. In Sydney, the number one area. So these are the best metro suburbs moving forward. Now, this is a real surprise. So Campsie is number one, but it's not houses. It's units. Units in Campsy. Fairfield is next. George's Hall, followed by Granville. And when out. we're
2: saying moving it forward, these are the, the areas where the the greater majority of these mortgages
0: are, are being sought for, isn't it? This is where the median growth is going to be the best in 2023, according to Canstar.
1: It's interesting that he mentions, obviously, suburb, we speak about how important getting that location is, but... As people become priced out of freestanding homes, they need to look at alternatives. And if they want to be in the suburb, the alternative typically is obviously something within a strata, maybe it's a townhouse or an apartment. So with the large disparity from median house prices in Sydney um, to the median unit price, I think there'll be a bit of a catch up in terms of unit prices increasing next year because the freestanding homes are still just out of reach.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And so there's a few other suburbs where units are more pre- So Liverpool, Marrickville and also Westmead. And he gives reasons why those areas, and you'd know more than anyone, Sharpie, they tick all the boxes in terms of being close to infrastructure.
1: Yep. Just circles back to the demographic and who's there. Like Westmead, for example, one of the biggest hospitals in Sydney, you know, typically you may have a lot of doctors or nurses that are in close, you know, close proximity to the hospital. And it's just easy for those guys to be nice and close to work and have minimal maintenance on their property.
0: And this is one that you'll love. So it also gives regional areas. Armadale is at number one and Terry Ryder gives some reasons why. So... It's an important centre for agriculture and tourism, has a big education economy with the University of New England. It's part of the New England Renewable Energy Zone, creating multiple massive projects. And you're actually in some of the regions this week, scouting for you know some potential investments in the future.
1: We were, we were. And we were um, in and around Armidale, as well as a handful of other regional centres as well. And it's certainly something on our radar, that particular area. But um, I think there are probably some other ones that look, if not even more promising.
0: All right, boys. Uh, Well, that's what caught our eye. Let's get down to business. We've got uh, Michael Yardney. Rod, I'll get you to do the introduction.
2: Now, Michael Yardney from Metropole Property, thank you so much for joining us. It's only two weeks out from the end of the year. We've just had the RBA with their final rate rise, and as forecast, that was 0.25%. Now, we've moved into summer, and it's the time of year, Michael, when many of us start winding down, thinking about, well, I suppose, vacations rather than the economy in our property markets. Now, on the other hand, we're through the end of spring, and that typically brings out a lot of property buyers and importantly, sellers with longer daylight hours, nice weather, lush gardens, <coughs> all the flowers happening. So how did our property markets around Australia perform this springtime, Michael?
3: Well, well, Rod, they didn't have the booming conditions that we've experienced over the previous couple of years. Buyers were more nervous. Vendors were nervous. Sellers are in general buyers as well, often we think as property investors, but most Buyers are sellers, and most sellers are buyers because they're everything house. And so they were just uh, discretionary sellers were holding back a bit. So there were fewer properties available for sale and for listing. But interestingly, the markets held up very well, probably because there weren't as many properties for sale. So overall, option clearance rates started to rise a bit, asking prices stopped falling. And the eventual sale prices over spring also while they kept falling a bit weren't falling as much so there are signs that the property markets are looking for a floor they're 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 trying to uh, they're not bottoming out yet but they're heading that way
2: now we've certainly seen stock numbers fall i mean if we're going back 12 months ago i mean it's it's fallen quite a bit in fact Sydney. Show on a, a drop of about three percent over the previous year. Likewise for Victoria. The one thing that seems to happen is we see that little hiccup each and every time the RBA makes a move, takes a couple of weeks to recover. Then we're only two weeks away from the other movement. As we're coming into two thousand and twenty-three, Michael, be fair to say we might. Or rather, the RBA and the economy might be starting to clip that inflationary
3: trend. I think that's the case. And really what you're saying is that consumer confidence has been very low. It's actually lower than during the global financial crisis. Now, not totally sure why, because anyone who wants a job's got a job. Wages are going up a bit. But there's been the continual barrage in the media about concerns about a recession, concerns about inflation a lot of people haven't experienced it before uh the property pessimists are out there telling us our markets are going to crash so it's really been the lack of consumer confidence but but i think people are getting used to it now uh, rod uh, they, they realize that inflation is getting close to its peak they realize that there may be only one or two more interest rate rises coming so the sense is okay i've actually just got to get on with my life so I see the markets flattening out in 2023 and some areas starting to pick up again in the second half of the year.
0: Hey, Michael and boys, uh, just while we're talking about the economy, I found it extraordinary that Dr Philip Lowe apologised uh, earlier this week. And quote unquote, he said, I'm sorry that people listened to what we've said and acted on that. And now they're in a position they don't want to be in. What are your thoughts, Michael? I mean, I do find that incredible that he apologised on Tuesday.
3: Well, the Reserve Bank has, I guess, two instruments to affect its job, which is to keep inflation with the inflation within a band of close to 2 to 3% and to also keep unemployment under control. One of its uh, tools is the interest rate rises or the effects on interest rates. But the other is just the, the narrative and talking to us and either scaring us or encouraging us. So two years ago, almost three now, when COVID started, the Reserve Bank said, we're not going to raise interest rates until 2024. It said it over and over again. And it said, we're not going to raise interest rates until uh, the uh, employment figures start to improve and until wages go up. By giving that forward guidance, What it meant was a lot of people made very important decisions, big financial decisions, based on the fact that interest rates weren't going to go up and they budgeted accordingly. And some of them are now getting caught out where their mortgage rates are twice what they expected them to be. And others who locked in on fixed rates are going to get a de facto interest rate rise next year when their fixed rate mortgages come out and to become variable. So it was an astounding thing that he said. I agree with that. Very unusual for the Reserve Bank Governor to say that.
1: And Michael, look, you've been doing this for a very, very long time. Can you think of a time when there was so much negative commentary around the property market. Obviously, when interest rates have increased as quickly as they have been, has there been another time that you can think of where we've experienced something like this? And then a follow-up question to that would be, are you quite proud of how the Australian property market's sort of stood up to obviously, you know, the consumer confidence and, and all of the negative media around the place?
3: Well, let me answer the last question first, if I could then. Matt. The first uh, thing to remember is that Australia's property markets are too big to fail. No one wants them to fail. The new government, we've got a new government this year, doesn't want to be the government that oversaw the property market uh, crash, uh, the, the, the first one in in, in 30 years. The banks have a vested interest in making sure our property markets are performing well. And the state governments, they make a huge percentage of their income uh, based on on stamp duty. And remember, 70% of Australians own a home, not necessarily outright, and have a mortgage. So overall, it's too big a market to fail. So, did it surprise me how well it stood up? No, it didn't, because I've seen this before. And if you remember, A third of people are tenants, two thirds of Australians, more or less, are homeowners. Half of them don't have a mortgage. In other words, people who've been around for a while, own their properties for a long time, don't have a mortgage. So on that basis, rising interest rates don't affect them much. A third of Australians are tenants, and so rising interest rates don't affect them as much, rising rents do. So the Reserve Bank is really working currently on that uh, group of people who are homeowners, or investors with a mortgage. Um, So that answers the second half of your question about, does it surprise me? No, the Australian property market's resilient. It's behaving like it always does. There's a boom followed by a shorter downturn. Each boom leads to the next downturn. But during the booms, everyone's most confident because the media is giving all the positive messages. And during the downturn, people are at least confident when maybe they should now at this stage feel hey not much more downturn but the first part of your question was have I overseen so much negative sentiment and the answer is I think today with social media with a 24-hour news cycle uh, no I haven't but if you think about it if you had to talk to somebody for 24 hours in a row and not stop you'd have difficulty coming up with stuff. (laughs) And that's exactly what the news media has to do at the moment. So it keeps coming up with, let's call them interesting stories, but they definitely affect consumer confidence. So, uh, yes, uh, it's now probably the the Mm -hmm. worst I've ever seen consumer confidence when overall our economy is doing well we've all got a job, exports are doing okay, we're over COVID, we're getting out again, there's this cloud of consumer confidence covering the sun of all the good things, happening.
2: Michael, when we're talking about the media taking, let's say, (laughs) the glass half full look at it, even when we're in a boom market, we seem to see more negative than positive. When we had the boom through 2021, we were being told that we're 30% overpriced and the market's going to crash. That didn't eventuate. We've been told it through this. uh, No matter what the market is doing, the media is always going to try to sell the headlines of the negative. We've had the experts come out from the States and overseas during the peak periods when the market's growing, where there's confidence out there and basically write us down. None of that's come to fruition, but as you say, that's part of selling headlines. But there's no doubt that these interest rates have put a dap. I think it was actually pretty good that we only end up with a 0.25% for December, and that was really because we can see the inflation trend going. The big question mark is what's going to happen for next year. January, the RBA don't meets, so there's certainly a little bit of a safety margin there. February, what would your forecast be at this stage, Michael?
3: Well, before I give a forecast, just on your other comment about the media having all those negative comments, it actually doesn't sound right when you talk positive or optimistic. It almost seems like you're wanting to sell something, while all those people with negative comments seem like they're trying to protect you. And so the inexperienced journalists tend to be fed from media releases, and they're the ones they tend to cover. As for next year, I think we can already see the messages in the media changing. During the boom, there were mainly positive messages. During this year, there has been mainly negative messages. But now there's a mixture of positive and negative. A lot of commentators are coming out calling that we're close to the bottom. And that's what happens when the um, sentiment changes and when the trends change. So I hope that in February, the Reserve Bank is going to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen to our spending and to inflation and the economy. It's going to be walking a tightrope, as they say, because on the one hand, it wants to bring inflation down, but on the other, there's still that... uh, spectre of those fixed rate mortgages becoming variable there's still the lag effect of the interest rate rises which haven't really worked their way through the system yet we're still spending we're still spending particularly on discretionary items
0: michael on the 1st of december on propertyupdate.com.au you release the days on market around australia now if i'm reading this correctly apart from last year Days on market in every city around Australia are better than October 2019 and October 2020. But last year, as we all know, was just off the charts in terms of property transactions.
3: So what we're talking about is that there are not forced sellers. There's not a huge amount of stock on the market. So those properties that are on the market are selling pretty well, pretty quickly. And vendors are not having to discount a lot to give them away. But having said that, the fear of missing out, the FOMO of 2020 and 21 has disappeared. So I'm finding that buyers are being much more careful, much more selective, and really good properties, which are currently in short supply, are selling well and holding their value well. B-class properties are selling but take longer, and C-grade properties, people are just avoiding them. They're, They're doing their due diligence carefully. They're not buying on main roads. They're not buying in... Uh, high-rise buildings as much. Uh, buyers are being a bit smarter about things. They're scared of making wrong decisions.
0: So Brisbane, Adelaide, Darwin and Perth, they decreased in average days on market annually.
3: Yes. Yeah. But again, it's a factor of supply and demand, and there is still demand, maybe not as strong as during the boom times, and there's a lack of supply of good properties, and even though november experienced a few more properties coming on the market overall there is a shortage of properties for sale and then if we look at the other side of the market the rental market in all my years i have never seen vacancies as low as this uh, and rentals therefore have been rising a minimum of 10 percent and in some areas 20 percent over the year um, And people are saying, oh, that's not good. It's ugly, greedy landlords. Well, I've seen a lot of landlords. They're not ugly. (laughs) and They're not necessarily greedy. Uh, But in fact, nobody actually said, oh, what nice landlords they were last year and the year before during (laughs) COVID when they they dropped rents and when they gave rent-free periods to keep people in their homes.
2: Now, Michael, it seems to be we have, again, rather major differentiations between states and capital city. If you were to give us a summary on how you view each major capital city performing through 2023?
3: Well, I believe that Adelaide and Brisbane, the smaller capital cities, are probably going to perform better next year than the big capital cities. And part of that's related to affordability. In other words, wages in Brisbane are not much less than the wages in Sydney, but the average house, the median price house in Sydney is almost double the price of that in Brisbane. Uh, And so I believe that Adelaide and Brisbane will be the better performing markets in 2023. I can see that apartments below $1.5 million will do very well in Sydney moving forward because if you remember, there's going to be the uh, stamp duty or land tax option for many buyers in 2023, which means that if you got up to $1.5 million, you'll probably have even up to $100,000 extra in your pocket. And that will not buy many houses in Sydney but will buy apartments. I think they'll do well. Regional markets like uh, the Central Coast where uh, you guys are will still do nicely because it's close enough to be able to transfer backwards and forwards to the big capital cities. But Because I think hybrid work is going to continue on but not as much as before more people are going to go back to the office Um, so i see sydney and melbourne evening out during the first half of the year and then starting to have a little bit of a rise in the second half of 2023 and perth which actually hasn't done much for over a decade has been performing reasonably solidly in 2022 now this year it hasn't had much of a drop um, and it will continue to be a reasonable performer. And Hobart, Hobart's, gee, a really, really small market, uh, but but uh, it is a capital city, case, so it keeps getting classed with the others, um, and because of, I guess, the small market and the supply and demand, it will do as well. well also, because the underpinning factors for the markets overall next year are going to be lack of supply. We're just not building enough at a time when we're going to be getting probably two hundred thousand more immigrants apart from natural population growth the government wants to bring those people in and we're going to be getting the students coming back uh to our uh, educational institutions and they're going to support certain sectors of the property market as well
0: oh michael thank you so much for joining us and at the start of this podcast rod mentioned that you've now got the world's number one financial and investment podcast so I think that deserves a standing ovation here in uh, the Our House studios. Congratulations, mate, on everything you've done in 2022 yourself.
3: Well, it's been a challenging year. It's much easier for me, having been through the downturns before, the first time I came across one in the 1990s. I don't remember the recessions of the uh, 1970s and 80s, even though they were then. There wasn't as much media about it. But I had a few scary years in the past. Each time you experience them, it's a little bit less scary. So I was prepared for it. I didn't think about COVID. I didn't know what was going to happen. But by expecting the ups and downs, it makes it easier to get through them.
0: Yeah, an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast again. On behalf of the entire team, thank you. Best wishes to yourself and Pam for Christmas and the new year. And we'll chat to you in February
3: my pleasure and look forward to speaking to you next year have a merry christmas and a great new year
0: so michael yardney from metropole property strategists and also propertyupdate.com.au boys you were just saying what a weapon he is I'm not sure Michael's used to being called a weapon, but that's how you described him.
1: Oh, I just love his commentary. He, he does make the complex simple, and he just has such a sensible approach to the market. You know, yeah. he said how resilient it is. He's been in this game for decades. He's seen it all. And how the property market stood up over the last, you know, sort of six to 12 months with how much negative commentary there's been, I guess it just shows you how resilient our market is.
0: Yeah, you know, he's like Yoda. Off mm. Star Wars, isn't he? Uh, he told us off the air he turned seventy, and he went back to his birthplace in Israel, knocked on the door of the home where he was born and lived for the first three years of his life before relocating to Australia.
1: Yeah, yeah, he has an incredible story. One thing he mentioned, and I thought it was a uh, it was a piece of gold. But look, when you're investing or buying property, you're in partnership, right? And you're in partnership with the bank. You're also in partnership in some ways indirectly with the government and everyone else that's involved in it, right? And there's no way in the world that the government want our housing market to crash. He mentioned the government certainly um, the Labor government that's in at the moment certainly doesn't want the market to crash. It's not in the bank's best interest for them to lose you know, millions and millions of dollars. So just keep that in the back of your mind. You're not the only one out there floating around and you're not the only one out there that owns the property, whether it be your family home or your investment property. Know that there are other people that have a stake in that property itself and they absolutely want it to thrive and perform because it's in the best interest of of the economy and this country. And he also touched on the new first home buyer incentives to try and get first home buyers in at a certain price point. Now, this is obviously a a new incentive for first home buyers, buying property up to 1.5 million, where you have the choice to either pay stamp duty or pay a land tax. What that does is that's implemented by the government to try and you know, help those first home buyers getting to the market. So again, you can already see the government putting some measures in place to assist people to buy. Okay, They, they don't want people out there not to buy property. They want this market doing really, really well.
0: Hey, speaking of the government, we didn't mention this at the top, but New South Wales election coming up, front page of the newspapers the other day was that property is going to be one of the key drivers of this election campaign. So it's Perrottet up against Chris Minns. So that's going to be really interesting to watch as we come back. An an election
1: and they're talking about property.
2: (laughs)
0: Amazing (laughs) that. It's unbelievable.
2: This must be the first one. Look, the difficulty is, and, and I mean, I actually, this is one of the rare times I feel for political parties is they know there needs to be a solution, but what every party's, dealing with is the fact that it takes so long to implement it. So you've got three years of governance. It's going to take a lot longer than three years to change the imbalance in the property supply market. And bear in mind, you change the imbalance in the property supply market, that will have an effect on pricing. But one thing I want to go back to your comment, Matt, was... And very pertinent. There are people out there that are feeling mortgage stress. And there's that other 0.25% we're looking at next year where those on a fixed rate are going to be coming off it. If you are having troubles with it, talk to your lender, your bank immediately. As you said, the bank doesn't want to take your home from you. They want to have you as a client for the rest of your life. If you do have an issue, if you're feeling stressed, if one party's not able to work and has changed their income, talk to your bank immediately. They will sit down and find a saving part through that for you and help you navigate the difficulty.
1: Great point. And also, if you're out there and you're on a fixed rate right now, and let's just say you're on a fixed rate of 2.5%, whether it be on your family home or an investment property, take advantage of that right now, squirrel away some money so that when it comes off that fixed rate and then you're on the new rates, which are probably somewhere around 5% where your repayments are going to be higher, you've saved some money, you've stockpiled some money to then help get you through when those repayments increase. Okay. Cause they are going to increase when you come off your fixed rate, if you've, if you're sitting around two and a half percent. So stay ahead of the game, do that now, squirrel away some money and it's going to soften the blow for, um, for when those interest rates, you know, increase for you personally.
0: Hey, uh, we're with Pepper and they've phoned us countless times. So all the way through the pandemic, just checking in, how you're travelling, can we do anything for you? Now, Mm. when has that ever happened previously? And I I think they've contacted us numerous times this year as well. Yeah, and Uh, it goes
1: back to what Rob was saying and, and kind of what I touched on. You are in partnership with the bank. They don't want to take the home from you. All right. So work with them. It's a two way street, isn't it?
2: And we have the best, one of the best banking industries in the world, despite the negatives that come out thankful you're dealing with lenders in Australia and not elsewhere overseas. Yeah.
0: Just quickly boys, you want to talk about the SQM research numbers that came out. Louis Christopher? Look,
2: Louis, each and every year, and Steve, we've covered it off year after year. Louis and the crew at SQM research released their boom and bust report beginning of December and it's a forecast on what's going to happen by capital cities for the coming year. And, Matt, as you realise we're the two, how do you forecast this? You know, there's so many variables at play. We know there's our own interest rates. There's inflation around the world. There's the world economy. The beauty with SQM, they've given four different scenarios based on what happens with those four variables. The world economy, interest rates, inflation, employment and price pressures. And you can basically track what's happening with the economy based upon Louis's report. So if you want to get a really clear handle on what's going to happen in 2023, SQM, boom and bust report. If you can't find it yourself, drop me a line and I'll get you a copy of it across.
1: Yeah, one of the best in the game, um, Louis Christopher. He's so accurate. You have a look at some of his commentary, unlike other economists out there uh, that forecast things and continually get it wrong and still get a gig to go on TV and whatnot. Louis is one of the best out there and um, yeah, we just love his commentary here.
0: Yeah, okay, Uh, the podcast all thanks to Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions in New South Wales. And just back on their Facebook page, you can create your dream outdoor space with Smith & Sons. We, We spoke about hypotheticals. I wouldn't mind the outdoor kitchen. I'd love to have one of those put in. So we've done the outdoor space, but an outdoor kitchen would just top it off. You've got one, haven't you? Yeah.
1: We, get, we might have to broadcast um, the next podcast from mine. Uh, yeah, one of the best things that we've done. It's great with young kids, mainly because, you know, they can pretty much just trash the, the back deck.
2: <laughs> we saw it being built, Steve. We just
1: haven't eaten there yet. Yeah. I'll well, get you guys over. Yeah. We'll get the barbie going.
0: Go, go Al Fresco. Go. Yeah, I like it. Thanks again to Smith & Sons. Thanks to Michael Yardney. Outstanding as always and can you believe we're slowly moving toward the half century? That is episode 46, Done and Dusted. We've got a special just before Christmas. Dr Andrew Wilson will join us for the final time this year on the Owl House podcast. <music>